Uh, Open your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark. And um, uh, while you're doing that, a couple of announcements, as you'll see in your handout. Um, Redeemer, the next Redeemer Students event is Friday, June 14, from 6 to 8 at the the Crump Home for a Bonfire uh, with hot dogs and s'mores. It's getting that time of year. Oh, campfires. We had our first campfire the other week. How many of you have had your first campfire this year? Oh, well, you guys all better get on it. With all the pastoral authority, I tell you, to to get on the campfire thing. So, but students, is June 14th, and if you could please RSVP by, is it the 5th? Is that the, so by Wednesday, so we can know, like, food-wise. So all 5th through 8th grade students. And then uh, in two Sundays, we are having the uh, two new deacon candidates, the vote of affirmation for two new deacon candidates. The candidates are Jared Crump and Paul Spica, and that will be on Sunday the 16th. And how we usually do it, it's not like we have you know a meeting after the service. We'll have the cards out there, and you sign up, register on the table. You pick up your um, your ballot affirmation card, and you fill that out. So uh, just make sure uh, to do that that Sunday. If you are not here and need an absentee ballot, please let me know or Kathy know, and we can work that out for you. And then also the family covenant or child dedications is June 23rd. And uh, this is a, you can see there, it's it's just a special ceremony that we do to, um, for parents with their children to make a kind of a promise before God and a promise before all present to raise their child in, uh, in a way that will direct them to know and to love Christ and uh, promises to, to teach them and to speak the gospel to their children. And so that is uh, Sunday, June 23rd. And so um, if you're interested in that or know of some children, we've had a few babies around here in the last couple of uh, weeks and months and years. And so um, so that will be Sunday, June 23rd. Um, with that, I invite you to turn to uh, Mark, Mark's gospel. And as many of you know, my mom was able to be here um, the last couple of weeks. I don't get to see my mom very often. Uh, every, on average, about every year and a half or two years. And it was wonderful to, uh, to have her visit. And just reminded of the legacy um, of faith. Uh, that she has passed down to to me. Um, my mom became a Christian, uh, I believe it was in college, through Bible Study Fellowship. Uh, after my dad was born, he became uh, a Christian too. And uh, I had the, the privilege and the blessing of being raised in, in a Christian home. And uh, just as, you know, with my mom's visit recently, to be able to talk with her about those things and the, the faith commitment that she has for Jesus, that she loves Jesus, it was passed uh, passed on to me and to my brother, and so so grateful for that. And uh, I was reflecting on that this morning. And then uh, normally, when I'm getting ready on Sunday morning, I have a coffee. Uh, you know, I'm making sure everything's printed, uh, handed out. You know, all the handouts and things are ready. And then I go through my notes. And often I have a little helper that comes. Uh, it's not Janet. She usually sleeps in as far as long as she can. 
Um, but Emmeline usually comes, and I hear her waking up. She always comes into the office and wants to help fold some things or do any things like that. Uh, she's getting older, and so she tends to sleep in a little later. And so, uh, so she was sleeping in a little later, but as I was reflecting on today, and I'm reflecting on my mom and her, and her visit this morning, and, um, and then I heard Emmy kind of stirring in bed, and I, I was like, okay, here, Emmy, Emmy's getting, uh, you know, coming to, to wake up. And the first thing I hear her uh, singing is uh, a Christian song. And um, uh, the words escape me right now, but um, uh, what, uh, I don't remember what words she was going to sing. I was going to sing them for you, but maybe that's all for the best that I forgot. <laughs> um, but, but just listening to her sing about, oh, I don't remember what it was. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. Uh, you laid down your life. That I would be set free. Um, and she even added the free. <laughs> Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. And um, I'm not even sure how profound those words are to her. You know, I, I'm sure she means it. I know she means it with all of her heart. Um, but just what a, a, a profound thing to be in another room and to overhear your um, daughter singing words about uh, the love that Jesus has for her was just really, really overwhelming. And I was thinking, wow, this the privilege of having my parents share the gospel with me and then sharing the gospel with my children and them knowing the love of Christ was just pretty cool this morning. So with that, I invite you to uh, turn to Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, as we, um, we want to know and love and worship and follow Jesus. And to do so, let's turn to his word, and we'll read the passage, I'll pray, and then we'll get into our teaching this morning. It's Mark, chapter 1, uh, verse 14 through 45. You know, this is our, this is our practice to read the scriptures, um, the public reading of the scriptures. And so we're going to read uh, this whole passage. If you'll follow along, Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called to them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and followed him. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, and not as the scribes. And, and immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What 
have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately uh, they told him about her. And he came, and he took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, And the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I have came. That is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But when he went out, but he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news So that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. This is the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. Lord God, we thank you that we do have your word. We thank you for the person, the subject that your word is all about from beginning to end. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that we get a glimpse here in our reading today of a day in the life of Christ. Where we get a look at what his ministry on earth was about. And God, we ask that you would teach us, give us some lessons that we can apply, help us to to uh, help it to stir our love for him and our desire to to follow him. May your word change us, God, this morning. We ask that you would do that in and through us, individually and and corporately, as, as your body. It's in Christ's mighty name that we pray. Amen. So Mark 
begins here in the opening chapter of his gospel. Uh, after his introduction uh, to Jesus, he begins kind of like with a, a, what some commentators call a day of, in the life of Jesus. Now, I'm not sure this is uh, one full like 24 hour day. It might be a day or two. But uh, Mark wants to present to us uh, right away. This is what Jesus ministry looked like. Let's, let me give you a typical day of Jesus ministry in the early uh, days of his earthly ministry. Mark begins, remember, he just kind of jumps in by saying this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the beginning of it, as it was foretold in the Old Testament. The prophets spoke about it. We saw a couple weeks ago that Jesus is the Yahweh saves, the Lord saves. He's the the Messiah, which he is the anointed one, that he's the anointed king and also the son of God. And last week we looked at the, the baptism of Jesus and the baptism ends with his temptation in verse 12 and 13. And then Mark jumps right in to uh, an introduction to Jesus in his life and his ministry. And if I could say that there was one theme that we read in all of the scenes of chapter one, it would be this one word, Jesus authority. Jesus authority. The authority of Jesus is on display uh, in almost every verse of what we we just read. And so Mark, it makes sense that Mark wants to kind of drive home Jesus's authority of his earthly ministry. Um, he's wanting to uh, help us to identify who this Jesus is, that he really is the son of God, that he really is the king over Israel and over the entire world, and that he has authority to do so. And he does so by just giving us a little snapshot of the life of his ministry. And so uh, let's look at a couple of ways that Jesus's authority is on display in this passage. First, Jesus' authority, the authority of Jesus is seen in his authoritative teaching. Notice in verses 21 and 22. And they went and they, here's Jesus and his disciples that he is called. They went into Capernaum. Now, Capernaum is on the, is a city. It's kind of a fishing city on the northern part of the uh, Sea of Galilee. Uh, Peter, it's his hometown. Probably the hometown of some of the others as well. And they go into Capernaum and uh, immediately on the Sabbath, Jesus goes in and he goes into the Sabbath, into the synagogue on the Sabbath to start uh, teaching. That's kind of how the, the synagogues worked in those days. You'd have, a, you know, various people would be men would be called together to read from the passage of Scripture and then would teach or expound on it. I had the, the opportunity to go to uh, many of the synagogues, that the ruins and the remains of these synagogues in this place. And when it says that Jesus went throughout all of the surrounding Egypt and he went and preached in all of the synagogues, it was so cool to be there, to be standing inside of the remains of those synagogues and know that actually Jesus had walked here. He probably stood there on the platform uh, to teach probably stood, uh, he would have, uh, you could see where they would keep the scrolls of Moses and um, in the closets that they would put them in. You could go and see that. That would be the scroll where Jesus would have read from a scroll that would have been stored there. 
And so Jesus goes into Capernaum and he's in the synagogue and he is teaching there. And notice what it says, uh, what the crowd's response was to the teaching in verse 22. And they were astonished at his teaching. They were astonished at his teaching. Now, why? What was so fascinating or astonishing about his teaching? Mark explains in the rest of the verse. For he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Now, this the synagogues uh, in ancient Israel that you might be if you're familiar with your Bible, you would go. Now, wait, where was where were synagogues described in the Old Testament? The answer is, is that they weren't. After uh, Israel was destroyed um, by Babylon and they were taken exile uh, in to, to Babylon during the Babylonian captivity, um, the temple was was destroyed, kind of laid laid bare. And Israel had come back from their exile and they had rebuilt the, the temple over time. But then also in all of the communities, wherever you had 10 adult males together, they could form a little kind of a congregation, a synagogue. And that's basically what synagogue means. It's an assembly. It's an assembly of people. And the main thing that would happen there is they would teach the scriptures. They would teach the scriptures. And how it kind of happened in Jesus' day is that uh, you would have a couple of teachers from long ago and they would say some things and then some other rabbis or teachers would kind of make some comments about the comments that they had made and then they would offer kind of their own comments and their own opinions. And then the other uh, scribes or teachers would come along and they would make comments on the comments of the comments on the comments of the passage. And then... Each of those scribes would have a group of followers who would make comments on the comments of the comments of the comments of the comments, kind of like that, right? And you get the impression here and elsewhere in Mark's gospel is that's what it was. They would read a portion of the scripture and they go, well, this guy would say this, but this guy says this, but then another guy says this, and then another guy says this, and it would just recite all of these things to almost to the point where it kind of just weakened the power of God's words and God's scripture. Comments, comments, comments. And none of it given authoritatively. Jesus is changing all of that. He comes and he doesn't follow that practice that the scribes did of just kind of quoting the commentaries and going on and saying, well, this is what this, is what this guy says. Jesus comes with authority. He teaches with authority, which makes sense for us on this side of the resurrection, this side of the cross, we can see why. We see that Jesus really is the Son of God. And as the eternal Son of God, He, along with God the Father and God the Spirit, authored the Scriptures. Jesus, in a debate with the religious leaders in John chapter 5, as I said a couple weeks ago, you guys study the scriptures because you think that by them you gain eternal life. But they point to me, and yet you refuse to come to me to have life. The scriptures have life because they, I spoke them, and they speak about me. So Jesus taught with authority. 
the authority of the scriptures. And the crowds were amazed at that. This is what Jesus' authoritative word did, by the way. Notice what happens in response to the word, verse 23. And immediately, I think this is Mark's favorite word, immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. It's interesting. We don't have any record of this, but I wonder how many times somebody with an unclean spirit came into the synagogue and cried out to one of the scribes in response to their teaching of the scriptures. My guess would be probably not. What would cause this evil spirit that possesses this person to all of a sudden cry out? I think it's because of the authority of the word that Jesus was speaking. The authority of the scriptures will draw out spiritual warfare. Have you ever shared the Bible verse with somebody, maybe a friend or family member, co-worker or something, or shared the truth about the gospel with them and then received pretty harsh response? And you kind of think, well, where did that come from? It came out of nowhere. I think you get an example of this. Uh, there are strong reactions to the authoritative word of God. The word of God, the authoritative word of God that Jesus spoke draws out that reaction. It will draw out reactions from those who we share it with too. And all through Mark's gospel, by the way, there's another theme that kind of goes through and that ties in with the, the, the title of this series, Who is Jesus? All throughout this Mark's gospel, you'll have these encounters of people going, well, who is this guy? Here's a perfect example. Notice, notice what the response of the crowd after Jesus rebukes the spirit and uh, tells him to be silent and to come out of the man. Uh, they respond, verse 27, and they were all amazed. They were amazed at the teaching that it was authoritative at the beginning. They were already amazed. And he goes on to say, and they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, what is this? A new teaching and with authority, he commands evil spirits and they obey him. Right? So again, this question, what is this? Or as later in Mark's gospel, who is this? Who is this that can talk like this? Who is this that can speak like this? What's interesting is how frequently throughout the gospel, all of the human persons that Jesus comes in contact with are struggling to capture his identity. You know who doesn't struggle to capture who Jesus is? The evil spirits don't. I know who you are. I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. So Jesus' authority is on display in his teaching. His authority is on display in his authority over demons and evil spirits. And in both cases, whether it's the teaching alone or accompanied by his casting out of those demons, the crowd is amazed. So Jesus is authoritative over teaching. He has authoritative teaching. He has authority over demons and spirits. And he also has authority over physical ailments and sicknesses. We see this in two ways in this passage. 
First with Peter's mother-in-law, verses 29 through 34. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. I, I should have grabbed some of these pictures of this place. Uh, what they believed to be Simon's home uh, was probably, what, 20 or 30 yards. Some 20 or 30 yards from the synagogue. A couple people have been there to Israel, right? Would you say like 30, 40 yards away? So they walk over to Simon and uh, Simon's home, and it says Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and he took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. So Jesus has authority over her sickness, fever. Jesus has authority over the uncleanness of a leper, verses 40 through 45. A leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. During our Leviticus series, we kind of illustrated this uh, when I had Gabe Zylstra come up here, right? And I had Gabe elsewhere in one of the other Gospels, it says that the man fell down on his knees and his face to the ground. And I said, Jesus probably didn't you know, reach out and touch him with his finger. Jesus probably got down and had his hands on him and touched this person who was ostracized from society and said, I will be clean. And immediately... The leprosy left him and he was clean. And Jesus said, don't don't tell anybody what happened, but you go and do what Leviticus says. You go and demonstrate to the authorities that you are clean and you can now be restored to your family. You can be restored to your friends. You don't need to be an outcast living on the outside of the city. Jesus has authority over sickness and physical ailments. And by the way, these don't just demonstrate, these aren't just other examples of Jesus's authority. These are also a demonstration of Jesus and compassion. So we have the authority of Jesus on display, but notice the compassion that is on display as well. Look at what Mark says in verse 41. By the way, in verse 40, notice that the leper, the leper seems to know what Jesus is able to do, uh, whether he got that from the 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 uh, the fame of Jesus name being spread around through all the surrounding region, as it said, where they had already brought people to the door of Peter's house for Jesus to to bring healing to them. Notice that the leper doesn't doubt that Jesus can do it says, you can make me clean. He was just questioning if Jesus would be willing to do so. And Mark responds that Jesus was moved with pity. The Greek word there for pity was moved with compassion. Um, it's the, the Greek word splankna. Uh, I just like saying that. That's one of my favorites to say. Splank non. I won't make you say it. Um, but it's the word for intestines. Right? It's the word for, it's word for bowels. 
because that was described as the seed of emotion, right? Not, you know, you talk to, to people you remember not too long ago, or even now, like you look at your spouse and you have those butterflies in your stomach, right? How many of you still have those feelings? Not as much, right? What? You know what I'm talking about. Okay. Think back long ago. Do you remember? Uh, so those feelings in your stomach, you know, like to describe something physical is happen- happening to you, right? You're moved with this kind of compassion and it, it tingles on the inside. And this is the, the Greek word for that, for pity, emotion, compassion. He goes, it's bowels. It's just bowels. It's, it's so romantic, isn't it? Now I say it, it sounds ridiculous. But Jesus is moved with compassion. He has those, the, that feeling in his gut of pity and compassion for for this, for this leper. The leper doesn't question that Jesus could do it. He was questioning if he was willing. Jesus is more than willing. He was compassionately willing to do so. So you have the, the compassion of Jesus on display here. And then you have the, the compassion that's uh, seen by the touch, not only of Jesus of the leper, but the compassion that Jesus displayed to, to Simon's mother-in-law. And what's interesting is that the, the leper's condition is a pretty bad condition. As I kind of alluded to, this would, have, this would have made you ostracized. You would have been secluded from the rest of society. Simon Peter's mother-in-law just says she has a fever. In those days, you know, like today, the fever just kind of has to pass. She, she probably could have been fine in a couple of days. And Jesus doesn't go, I don't want to expend my power and my energy You'll be fine in a couple of days. Drink lots of water, right? He, he says, he goes, look what it says in verse 30, 31. And, and they actually, it's, you kind of get the impression in verse 30 that she's like in the bedroom or in the, the bed on the corner and that she's not feeling well. And they just kind of make an excuse. Oh, it's like, oh, Simon's like, oh, I like my mom would come out and talk to you, but she can't. She's, she's not feeling really well. She's got a fever. And then it's like Jesus, they don't ask They don't ask Jesus to do this. So it's like, oh, she's got a fever. Well, let me go. And he walks over and he came and he took her by the hand. Just picture again, this compassion took her by the hand and he helps her up and the fever left her and she began serving. Just the compassion, the compassion of Jesus. What a day, huh? And notice, by the way, that Jesus has no fear of contamination whatsoever. He's not worried that he's going to catch a fever. But he's definitely not worried about the contagion of the leper. He knows that he, he has the power to bring healing and restoration to their bodies. So Jesus' compassion uh, overcomes any fear of contamination. So we have the authority of Jesus. We have the compassion of Jesus. And then I want to point out one lesson here on the mission of Jesus. Mark's gospel begins with a lot of uh, examples of healings taking place, physical healings, Jesus having the power to do physical healings and to cast out demons. But verses 35 through 39 remind us that that is not the primary thing that Jesus was concerned about. 
Jesus was not concerned about primarily about bringing physical healing. Notice that kind of what Jesus' ministry is happening here in this day or couple of days. That what Jesus is really concerned about is the preaching of the gospel. Notice verses 35 through 39. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed, which is phenomenal considering the power that Jesus has. Jesus is the son of God, and yet he still needs that continual connection and fellowship with the father. And so he goes out and he prays to the father, spends time alone with God, the father. If the son of man does that and the son of God does that, how how much more important is that for us? So he goes and he goes and prays. And then Simon and all those disciples were searching for him. They found it and they said, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. Jesus could have launched an entire healing ministry right there in Capernaum and had people come from all over as was they were already doing. And he could have done that. And he says, Everybody's kind of flocking here. It's now time for me to move on to go to the other villages. Why? So that I could do healings there. He probably did. And we do have examples that he did. He but he explicitly says, here's this is the this is the reason why I've come that I would preach the gospel of the kingdom there, too. Which is how this passage began. Notice verses 14 and 15. Now, after John was arrested, John is John the the Baptist who did the baptizing ministry in the Jordan River. He was eventually arrested and thrown into jail and was beheaded. Mark just tells about his arrest here. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. It's the same message that John was preaching in verse 4. Proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the, remit, for the forgiveness of sins. The, the uh, forgiveness of sins was John's message. Jesus goes on, continues to preach that message. And then in verses 38 and 39, he says, This is why I've come. And verse 39, and he went throughout all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So this is the the mission. We need to be reminded here that Jesus still did healings and miraculous things and casting out of demons. But what he really wanted to do was to heal the hearts and the souls of the lost. Jesus really wanted to make sure. Now, this obviously included because of the power of his ministry and a demonstration of his works and his power. He brought healing and forgiveness. And sometimes that still happens today. But Jesus' primary message is uh, if you walk away with a physical healing of your bodies and you don't have a restoration of your souls through the forgiveness of sins then it will mean ultimately nothing. 
So we have the authority of Jesus, the compassion of Jesus, and the mission of Jesus. And then, uh, lastly, the, the commission of Jesus. By this, I mean Jesus kind of commissioning his followers or a group of his followers. And this you see in the call of the first disciples back in 16, verses 16 through 20. Jesus makes a call to them. It says, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon. And, and I didn't say this earlier, but Simon, this is the, the Hebrew name of the word Peter. So when you see Peter in the New Testament, um, you see Peter preaching and the, him mentioned as Peter. Um, his, his given name is Simon. Uh, and so the, the New Testament uses those words interchangeably. And it says, when he saw Simon, and that is Peter, and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. So Jesus calls his first disciples with the words, follow me. Notice that they were fishermen. Now, um, it's... A lot of people have pointed out this, this doesn't, they, they certainly were not wealthy. They weren't the, the affluent. This is one, not the aristo, aristocratic level of society. Fishermen were kind of more in the middle tier of society. They weren't poor either, but they were definitely common, common folk. They were blue collar workers. They were not, uh, they were not influencers. Uh, they were not scholars they were not socially powerful in the slightest they were fishermen and that's who jesus calls this is who jesus calls regular everyday common people to be his disciples it's not to say that he couldn't call influencers or the affluent or the scholarly but those are certainly not requirements of following and in joining in the mission Jesus gives to them. Now, what is their task? It says, I will make you become fishers of men in verse 17. There's, there's two ways to, to look at this. One is Jesus is looking at their occupation and their careers, and he's kind of just saying, um, and he's kind of making an analogy with what it is that they normally do in their occupation and their callings and their vocation in life. And he wants to kind of redirect it and say, well, you're fishermen, but I'll tell you what we're going to make you. I'm going to make you fishermen, but not a fish, but of men. Okay, that's that's one way uh, to look at it. And I think that Jesus is kind of doing that here. But I don't think he's just being clever and making a clever connection, um, kind of saying like, well, what I'm going to call you to do is kind of like what you're already doing. He might be doing that. There's an interesting little echo here to uh, the prophet Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 16. Jeremiah 16 is talking about this exile that I referenced earlier. Where Egypt was, or excuse me, Israel was um, because of their idolatry. Because of their breaking of their covenant with the Lord God while they were in the land, while they were worshiping other gods, when God said, I alone am to be worshiped. God, through Jeremiah, says to them, you're going to be taken away. 
You should lament. You should mourn. You're going to be taken away to Babylon. And you'll be held captive there because you broke covenant with me. As he says in verse 11 of chapter 16, because your fathers have forsaken me, declares the Lord, and gone after other gods and have served and worshiped them and have forsaken me and have not kept my law. And because you have done worse than your fathers, for behold, every one of you follows his stubborn evil will, refusing to listen to me. Therefore, I will hurl you out of this land into a land that neither you nor your fathers have known. And there you will serve other gods day and night, for I will show you no favor. He says, but it's in the midst of this warning that that's coming. He gives a promise of restoration to his people out of the midst of that. He continues, therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when it shall be no longer said as the Lord lives, who brought us up the people of uh, Israel out of the land of Egypt. But as the Lord lives, who brought up the people of Israel out of the north country, this is referring to Babylon. And out of all the countries where I have driven them, for I will bring them back to their own land and I, that I gave to their fathers. So even in the midst of this word of judgment, he says, and actually, um, I'm going to bring you back. And it will be such a, a marvelous feat that as you as the exodus out of Egypt was so formative in your uh, spiritual memory. So the return from this Babylonian captivity will kind of replace that kind of language. No longer will you say, hey, we, brought, we were brought up out of Egypt. You'll say, hey, we were brought out of the north country. And then he adds this one little comment. This is the Lord speaking. Behold, I am sending. It's in the middle of that restoration. He says this. Behold, I am sending for many fishers, declares the Lord. And they shall catch them. And afterward, I will send many hunters and they will hunt them from every mountain and every hill out of the clefts of the rock. So even in the midst of this restoration of God's promise to his people, he says, he uses this analogy of like fishers will go and catch them. Maybe that's what Jesus has in mind here too, right? I'm going to rescue my people from their bondage to idolatry. And just as Jeremiah says, I'm going to send fishers to do it and they'll catch them. They'll catch my people. I'd like to think that's a little bit behind Jesus words here, too. Jesus is in this way, fulfilling this promise of restoring his people. And he's going to do it by sending fishers. So Jesus goes to them. And he says, follow me and I will make you fishers, fishers of men. And then notice what their response is. Beautiful. And immediately they left their nets. I know that's Mark's favorite word. He says it all the time. Immediately, immediately, immediately. But I think in this case, that's exactly what happened. I think at that moment, hearing this call from Jesus, they literally left their nets. Quit their jobs. Quit their occupations. At least suspended it for a while, but walked away from it. That's what happened with Simon and Andrew. And the same thing happens with James and John. Notice verse 20. And immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat. So, you know, it's immediately. Sorry, dad. <laughs> you got to finish this day's work without us. 
And they left and they followed Jesus. Fascinating what their response was. And this sets up, this is only the beginning of something that we will see that Jesus will address and talk about throughout Mark's gospel and all the gospels. To be a Christian is to follow Jesus and to follow Jesus requires that you leave something behind. Let me say that again. To be a Christian is to follow Jesus and to follow Jesus requires you to leave something behind. If you become a Christian and you've left nothing behind in order to do so, you may not be a Christian. To be a Christian requires a leaving of something from your old life behind. To be a Christian means... You're you're asking Jesus to forgive you from your sins. So at the very least, you have an awareness of a sin that you've committed somewhere that you need to leave behind. Right. So it's not this. This may seem like an extreme statement. Biblically, it is not. You can't follow Jesus and not leave something behind. What is Jesus asking you to leave behind? To be followers of Jesus, to fulfill the task of making fishers of men, as it was for Simon and Andrew leaving their nets, as it was for James and John leaving their father in the boat. They left their life behind. What has the Lord called you to leave behind to serve and follow him? And maybe you could point to something. Maybe there's something, and I think many of you have. But maybe the Lord is calling something yet you need to leave behind. What is that thing? Because that's required for us to follow Jesus. Now, a couple of lessons here. Jesus' mission including the cross. Well, Jesus' mission includes his cross, his suffering, his dying, and his resurrection. We would say the gospel is that. So I I think there's a, a great question here is, well, how is Jesus proclaiming the gospel if he hasn't died and resurrected uh, yet? Um, I think what he's saying is there's the gospel that the kingdom has arrived. And maybe a lot of people would say, dare say, all people didn't realize the extent of what that would involve in Jesus' crucifixion, burial, and resurrection. But Jesus, nevertheless, um, was preaching this gospel of the kingdom. And that his authority to do this was demonstrated by his physical healings, by the casting out of demons. But those things were not his primary goal. It was not primary to, to, to heal, to bring physical healing. His primary goal was to preach the gospel. Two, Jesus chooses regular old us to spread that message. God uses fishermen. He could use you. God uses fishermen. He could use you. And here's how it is that God could use you. Because Jesus himself supplies the power. Notice it's, 
it's kind of subtle here, but he says, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Jesus guarantees the outcome. He guarantees the power. He guarantees them the ability to do it. Because I will make that happen. I will make you to become that. If you follow me. So Jesus supplies the power. And if Jesus supplies the power, well, then he could use any of us. You don't already have to be an influencer. You don't already have to be a scholar. You don't already have to be a a great debater or um, speaker or any of those things. Jesus can use you. And Jesus gives us an example of how we stay connected to that. Jesus drew his power from his relationship with the Father, and he leaves that as an example for us. Whenever we approach our day, may we would connect with our Father and say, uh, Father, I, I need you to help me to the task you've called me to do. That's two. Number three, to be fishers of men, we need the compassion of Christ. To be fishers of men, we need the compassion of Christ. Oh, that we would all love our friends and neighbors and family members and the weird people on Facebook with the compassion of Christ. Oh, that we would love the people of different political persuasions than us or different worldviews than us and that we would demonstrate To them the compassion of Christ. It's hard. I think sometimes we. um, I I fear contamination. (laughs) Fear getting too close. uh, To the lepers of those who have a different worldview than me. Because of contamination. Don't fear the contamination. Trust in Christ. And reach out to those with the message that he gives us of hope and forgiveness in his name. And then fourthly, to be followers of Christ and fishers of men, we need to speak and not be silent. To be followers of Christ and fishers of men, we need to speak and not be silent. Kind of this beautiful irony we see in verses 44 and 45 with the leper. Verse 44 And uh, Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone. Now, that's a strange thing, right, for Jesus to say. He says, see that you say nothing for anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer your cleansing what Moses commanded them. Why does Jesus not want this guy to go around and talk about his healing to them? It's a fascinating question. I I don't know that I really know for sure, uh, but here's my kind of my operating thesis on why Jesus kind of says, hey, hold off on this. Because I think all of this is demonstrating his authority as the Messiah, the Christ. That Mark mentions in verse 1. I think all of this is demonstrating that. And I think people are catching on to this when they're like, he has authoritative teaching. He doesn't teach like the scribes. And he's casting out demons and they do what he says. And he's healing all these physical ailments. There, crowds were flocking to this guy. I think some of them were flocking for selfish reasons to get the physical worldly things taken care of. But I think uh, many of them go, I think this might be the Messiah. 
And as we learn elsewhere through Mark's gospel, people had a misconception of who the Messiah was. They thought he was a military leader who was going to overthrow Rome. Jesus would, but not the way they think. And so I think that maybe Jesus is saying, don't go say anything to anyone because this is going to kind of spread the misconception around. I don't know. That's just my, my theory. But here's the thing that's, that's interesting, the irony part. Jesus says, say nothing. What does the guy do? Verse 45. But he went out and began to talk freely about it. First act of disobedience in Mark's gospel. Right there, right? But this is a good disobedience. He couldn't help, because of the joy of what happened to him, to share with others. The irony is, is at the end of the gospels, Jesus commissions us to share. And we often don't. Well, I think all of this reminds us that to be followers of Christ and fishers of men, we need to speak and not be silent. I pray that we would all be courageous to speak. This is the authority of Jesus on display. The compassion of Jesus on display. The mission of Jesus and the commissioning that we have to make fishers of men by speaking and not being silent. May God do that in us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. God, we don't know if this was just one one day, one 24-hour period. We don't know if this was a little bit longer than that, but we know it's, it's a snapshot of the, the way Jesus' ministry was launched on earth. And we thank you for this picture of Jesus. We thank you for the authority that Jesus has and that we on the other side of the resurrection can see what here at this point, it seems only the demons could see that you are the Holy One of God. May we come to know deeper and more thoroughly that truth that you are the Holy One. God, we thank you for the authority of Jesus' teaching. May we trust in his teaching and his authority. And God, may we realize the need for us to, to be fishers of men, to rescue a people from their bondage to sin and idolatry by sharing with them the gospel. Help us to speak, knowing that we have been healed some of us physically, some of us, uh, all of us spiritually. But God, may we go and share with others this amazing news of the gospel of your kingdom. God, we ask that you would empower us to do so by your Holy Spirit. Make it so. And it's in Christ's mighty name that we pray and all God's people said. Amen and amen. Would you stand for closing benediction? Uh, and as always, if, if you have questions about the, the passage of scripture or the sermon, or if you have any prayer needs, anything you would like prayer for, 
uh, please just feel to come up afterward. I'd love to, to talk with you and pray with you. Now, brothers and sisters, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of us as we go. Thank you.